welcome. It's the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here. The Fan Checkdown is presented by ProLine Plus, the only sportsbook where 100% of the profits go back to Ontario. It's Super Bowl week. It's here. It's our second last Monday show. Getting a little sad. Not because you have to spend time with me, but because football season is almost over. Yes and no. So the season is a grind. And coming up with topics and takes and angles for this show, writing a weekly 10 stats piece for sportsnet.ca. And I'm here to tell you, sometimes it's tough to find those 10 stats. I don't know how Elliot comes up with 30-plus thoughts. Uh, sometimes he cheats and only does 25, but <laughs> yeah, I get, I get it. So part of me is like, the light is at the end of the tunnel, but 72 hours after the Vince Lombardi trophy is handed out and some player looks into the camera and says, I'm going to Disney World. Is it Disney World or Disneyland? Uh, it depends who wins. Really? I feel like if it's San Francisco, yeah, if it's San Francisco, it's Disneyland. But if you're on the East Coast, it's Disney World. These guys still do, like, they do spend money, but they like to hold on to it, too. So Midwest, are you going West? Like, if Mahomes wins, he's from Texas. Is he he going straight to Texas afterwards on the private jet? Anyways, bottom line is... I think he's going West. do Do you know those... Those contracts are, are being negotiated right now in real time. Mm-hmm. So Disney will have five, six, seven, ten guys per team. Well, they'll work out a rate as to if you win MVP, we bring the camera over to you, look in, confetti coming down, and you say to the camera, you know, the line, Disney World or Land, depending on, you know, where you decide to, to be. Which is why you hardly ever get an off-the-board choice. Yeah. yeah. Like, the first Chiefs Super Bowl history will tell us that your boy Damian Williams was actually the best player That's on true. the field. But it's just not as fun for him to be He's riding a float with Mickey. Yeah. No, no. It's not, it is not the same. We don't want him on The View no, Monday morning God. after the game. Who? Damian who? Um... By the way, Rashman Danny, uh, our pal from Sportsnet, is going to join us. He's going to Disney World or Disneyland? Maybe he is. I don't know. Oh, okay. So it's a five-hour difference to to get from Disney. This is Lance is giving me the info in real time. Lance, just put put your your mic mic on on and talk to the people. Yeah, let's hear it. Did you hear him? I did not hear him. I didn't hear him. I hope the people heard him because I didn't hear him. No, I don't think they did. There we go. The Disneyland is 23 hours from Kansas City. Disney World is 18 from Kansas City. Okay. So it's closer. But is Disney it World. relative to where the Super Bowl is because they're in Vegas? No, I don't think it matters. You want to go home, you got to get a change of clothes. No, you got to get your Disney t-shirts. Gotta, they're got to do the parade at home. Then you go to Disney yeah. Land. Yeah. I feel like it's you Disney don't go right then away. the parade. No, no. Okay. You got to really, you got to really milk this time. Someone, You're doing it wrong. Some resp- someone respond on the text line. No, I mean, if ABC is paying, I think they want this to happen while the event is still trending. 
I could have sworn they're there the next morning. I mean, they could be, but you know what? Our pal Rashman Danny is, he, he knows know. about, he might, he might know this. He has a this lot of Super Bowl sort knowledge. of investigative reporting. And, and if he doesn't, the guest in the next block is also a Super Bowl champion. Maybe he knows. Thomas Dimitrov will join us. Former executive with the New England Patriots. The interesting thing is oftentimes when and you the Falcons. win a championship, we've seen this in the NBA and the NFL, you reroute the plane to Vegas to go party. Oh, you don't need to do that you on don't Sunday. Need to, you, have, you have to reroute the sprinter van because both teams are staying 25 miles outside of the downtown core. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Which is foolish, by the way, because guess what? If players want to find trouble... You know what's not going to stop them? A hotel being 20 minutes outside a, the city. Uh, an Uber drive? Yeah, right. No, no, no. As long as they take the Uber. That's all that matters. Uh, do you want to get into this Cliff Kingsbury thing? Like, we got a few minutes. Arash, I'm sure, will have a, a take on it as well when we have him on. So, on Friday, it was reported, or maybe it was Thursday into Friday, that Cliff Kingsbury was going to take the Raiders job. We talked about it on this show. I think it was Schefter that said it was basically done. Um... And then he pulls his name from consideration, and now he's the offensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders under Dan Quinn. Did Washington, there's two things that I think of here. Did Washington give him the godfather offer of, we will offer whatever it takes to bring Caleb Williams in with the number one pick? Or did Kingsbury use the Raiders as leverage to get more from the Commanders? I can't imagine that Cliff Kingsbury would have any leverage, but I guess when you're wanted in a job, you have leverage. So it's funny how there's a domino effect to these roles, these positions, which is why you don't let someone leave the building without signing. If you decide that's who you want, you don't let them go back. You don't let them think about it. You don't let them do other interviews. You get it done. We saw that with Callahan. Yeah. He had other interviews scheduled. Same with, same with Harbaugh with the Falcons. He had a second interview with the Falcons. He said, no mas. We've, we've known we've wanted you for a while. We're going to give you a billion dollars. Let's not fool around. And the way I read this situation is Kingsbury's taking the Raiders job. It's one of you know, the ones open to him that would make sense. Dotting the I's, crossing the T's. You send the docu-sign. I'll have my people look over it. Maybe we need to make a couple concessions here or there, but... We have a working relationship, start filling out staff, so on and so forth. We're working through the legality of the relationship. All of a sudden, Washington, wait a minute, things go south. You don't get Ben Johnson, who theoretically would be calling his own place. Yep. You don't get McDonald in Baltimore where it was rumored if he gets a job, and we'll see who you know his offensive staff looks like, but if he gets a job, he might be plucking off of the Harbaugh tree in terms of p- people the Harbaugh family had relationships with mm-hmm. to go there. We see a Harbaugh truther and Greg Roman oh, God. going to San Diego. The redemption tour. So all of a sudden now with Dan Quinn getting the job in Washington. Someone who, again, Washington interviewed a while ago. Dan Quinn has had nothing to do for quite some time. His team yeah. was out of the playoffs a month ago. If if he was their guy, they could hire him. 
quite frankly, if he was there, a guy, they could have hired him last year because nothing has really changed about no. Dan Quinn. So I, I think they fall on their board of potential options to Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn's like, I need an offense coordinator. Got a relationship with Kellen Moore. He's spoken for. Open up. Hey, this is a name. Are you are you are you in a relationship or is it complicated, Lane Kiffin? So all of a sudden, Kiffin gets plucked because it's not done in Las King, Vegas. Kingsbury, Kingsbury, Kingsbury. Sorry, Kingsbury gets plucked because it's not done in Las Vegas. How did I? Mix those two. You got Ole Miss uh, on the mind. Wow. They, they are somewhat similar in thinking they are doing one job, and then all of a sudden they leave at the ninth <laughs> hour for another job. <laughs> so just reading the tea leaves on how things played out, that's my read. Here's my question to you. Hmm. Is the Washington job a better job if you're an offensive coordinator? I think so. Because... Because because we don't know who the Raiders are going to get at quarterback, and they've got a the package to move up from. I don't know. I think they're drafting fifteenth. Like to move up from fifteen to if you if it's Caleb Williams, that's the answer for you. Like you're not you're not getting there. That's too much. So here's my second question for you: Does that signing to you signal the fact that maybe Washington? I think they're making the play. To move Las up. Vegas will draft 13th, so I stand corrected. But that that's a that's a haul to get up to 13, right? So here's the other wrinkle to all of this. So he doesn't take that job. Luke Getze, who's the Bears OC, gets that job. Luke Getze has a relationship with Justin Fields. Now the Raiders say is that, that is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, the Raiders logic is is that Luke Getze was not the issue with the Bears offense last year. But we don't know if if they think that Justin Fields was the problem, if the offensive line was the problem, if maybe there was too much influence from someone else that was the problem. But here's the scenario. Cliff Kingsbury goes to Washington thinking he's going to get Caleb Williams and, and they're going to trade up to number one. The Bears trade Justin Fields to the Raiders and Luke Getzey gets his quarterback back the Bears take Caleb Williams and Cliff Kingsbury does not get Caleb Williams and gets none of that. That scenario is like, it's not likely, but it's very possible. Like there's a, there's a chance that that happens. Like the Raiders would have to give up significantly less, obviously to, to take Justin Fields off the hands of the Bears than to move up to number one. That's when you step up to the press conference and lie through your teeth and say, hey, we liked Drake May the most yeah, we, the entire time. <laughs> yeah, Josh Rosen was our guy the whole time. Um, you know who's our guy the whole time? Rashman Danny uh, from Sportsnet. He's on location in Las Vegas. President Has, of the Kirk Cousins fan club. Oh, yeah. Um, Mr. Mandani, firstly, before we get into this other conversation, have you seen the sphere with the helmets? It is just outside my hotel room. I was looking at it. It's beautiful. Uh, I've seen the morning. pictures. Yeah. It's a, it's a thing. It's it's funny because when we first arrived, it was severing, and then by late last night, it was Super Bowling. So the NFL got its hands on the on the sphere graphics machine. I want I wanted to ask you this because you've covered a fair share of Super Bowls, and I asked this question to James Brown last week. And I, if you if I had told you that you'd be covering a Super Bowl in Las Vegas ten years ago, what would you have said to me? Pretty. This is why you never say never. Um, but ten years ago would have been. 
downright impossible. Yeah. Uh, never in a million years, let alone 10. Um, I, I saw a video circulating on social media over the weekend, guys. And it was Pete Rozelle, the late Pete Rozelle, the longtime commissioner, basically saying, this is all, this all has to do with the mob. We can't even acknowledge that this exists. And to go from that to this, and really that was, that was the longstanding um, messaging for quite some time. And then to go from that to this in less than 10 years, like even eight years ago, um, it's just nuts when you think about it. It is. It's so you've obviously been to Vegas before for big events. You've been to Super Bowls. And I remember you telling me, and it struck me, what little atmosphere there actually is at a Super Bowl. Like Unlike a conference championship, you're on home soil, lots of stakes. Super Bowls, pretty corporate, pretty docile. But yeah. Vegas is in many ways different. And more people every year go to Vegas for the Super Bowl than the actual Super Bowl host site. What are you seeing thus far? What are you expecting as we get closer to Sunday in terms of what this now, I say, sports capital of America with the amount of events they've had in the last couple of years? What are you expecting it to be like? I think it's going to be poser central, Donovan. That's what I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a bunch of wait, wannabes wait, who are going to spend thousands of dollars on tables and bottles on Friday and Saturday night. Arash, that's, and that's Vegas every week. Like that. Well, there you go. And true. so all they're going to do is add a comma um, to the to the prices this week, this weekend, and the prices have never been higher for a Super Bowl, which adds to the. Um, so I, look, this is the Super Bowl is the ultimate go to somebody's house and enjoy one of their parties in their living room, den, man cave, whatever event I tell people all the time. And I'm, I'm very lucky. This is not somebody who's jaded, whatever do not. It is not worth it to come to a Super Bowl as a fan. It is a neutral site game. It is so sanitized. It's it's the worst version of a Leaf game in suits times five. Except imagine if it was that crowd, but it was, you know, my Blue Jackets against the Hurricanes at <laughs> Scotiabank Arena. Um, it is where the corporate environment, the corporate partners of the NFL bring their clients, and then the few fans that can get in are spending 10 grand a seat and they're scattered all over the stadium. I would highly recommend go to Buffalo for a divisional divisional game. Go to the host site of an AFC or an NFC championship game. I was lucky enough to be in Baltimore last week. That place was rocking after the Zay Flowers touchdown. It was an amazing atmosphere. The Super Bowl isn't. The Super Bowl, like I, I have no interest in going to an SEC championship game in Atlanta. But, man, um, sign me up for LSU Alabama and Baton Rouge or Tuscaloosa anytime. Yeah, my dad's been to – he went to um, Alabama Ole Miss. And that's not even as big as Alabama LSU. And he went in Tuscaloosa. He said, this is unbelievable, like something you've never seen before. But, you know, yeah. it's it's funny, though. I like the, I like the comment uh, that you brought up, like the Pete Roselle thing, like, oh, this is the mafia. We can't talk about it. Do these people forget how the NFL was founded? 
The NFL was founded on owners who are making money off of gambling, off of horses, off of all sorts of stuff that was, you know, you know, not on the on the forefront with with NF, the NFL and the Shield today. But you know, it's interesting that you talk about the atmosphere. You're not suggesting Marchese. You're not suggesting a hypocrisy and that their their billionaires lie. Do you? I, I would never do such a thing. Taylor no, Swift lies right. all the time. Um, so. With this, with the the game this week, like we we talk a lot about the legacy of Patrick Mahomes and what happens if he wins a Super Bowl, and, and comparatively to you know the the same amount of time during his career as Tom Brady from the start of their career and all the accolades. My question to you is, what is the legacy of Andy Reid if he wins this Super Bowl? Because I saw a stat and it's a, it's incredible. He's been to at least the conference title game in 44% of the seasons that he's coached. And I don't yeah, think we talk amazing. enough about him as one of, you know, the great coaches that we see like top three coaches, but if he wins this year, could he be in that conversation? Yeah. Yeah. And he should be. And I think it's because it took forever to end for Andy to finally win one. You know, he'd only gotten to one with Philly. And then it wasn't until the 2020 Super Bowl against San Francisco that, that they won it. But I think this has also been Andy Reid's most masterful coaching job ever in any of his seasons. Because not only has there been a talent drain over the last couple of years, but they've also, you know, like every team, had their share of injuries. But also the offense was not working. Like, guys, we are five weeks removed from Kansas city losing on Christmas day to the Raiders where Aiden O'Connell completed what? Something like one pass after the first quarter where Casey put up 14 total points. They lost three of four in that stretch. Mahomes looked awful in that game too. And the week, you know, the week before Reed or two weeks before Reed's getting fined saying, you know, the offside call on Kadarius Tony was embarrassing for the NFL and Mahomes was throwing his helmet. And the week before Mahomes was throwing up prayers against Green Bay on a Sunday night, hoping for PI flags that never came. Anyway, since they are an altogether different offense. And Andy Reid, who doesn't like to run the ball, Andy Reid's idea of running the ball is like end arounds and reverses or double reverses. And they have just made a commitment to ball control offense and Mahomes isn't playing hero ball. They're not trying to stretch the field. I think they have one play of over 50 yards in the last four weeks. And I saw something that was really interesting is that in the last four games, Kansas City has had 40 drives, and half of them have been seven plays or more. That's not Andy Reid's DNA. That's not Kansas City's DNA, but they understood that that's what it's going to have to take in order to win and in order to just, you know, slow games down. They are 18-2 and in second-half unders this year. That's how Kansas City has to win football games. And, and they've adapted to that at a time where it looked like their season was coming apart when they were 9-6 and six on Christmas Day. Andy Reid's a beast. Yeah. He's only person to lead an organization in wins for two different franchises, although I was really interested to hear your answer because I've gone back and forth on whether or not this is his best coaching job 
or his worst because they've been undisciplined. They've, they've been all over the place up until the last couple of weeks. But then I think, well, it's not his fault that Kadarius Tony has gone essentially AWOL. Arash, can you remember a steeper fall from grace? A year ago, Kadarius Tony was the main character, one of the heroes of the Super Bowl. Now he's unplayable, and yeah. I, I, I can't imagine he dressed. Antonio Brown comes to mind. That's the first image. I'm just picturing him disrobing in the Meadowlands with the Buccaneers. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, both uh, of them love to tell on themselves via IG Live, evidently, so there are some commonalities right. there. It, there's, there's zero chance he's playing, correct? And I and I mean this sincerely. I don't know if he was on the plane last night to come here. Huh. Like it, it felt like before the Baltimore game, before the AFC title game. Like he didn't, he didn't travel there, and they just told him, "Yeah, you're the, you're not worth." You know, the end doesn't justify the means of having you around here, man. Um, but the also amazing part is for an offense that doesn't have a ton of weapons, obviously Kelsey's, you know, superhuman and all those things, but they don't have outside of rice, many stretch the field options. Um, They just say, you know what, man, we're better off without you than we are with you. And it's caused zero dissension everywhere because as always winning is the best deodorant and these guys haven't lost uh, since late December. You mentioned Kelsey being superhuman earlier in the year. There was a conversation on whether or not Kelsey is washed. These two, for me, are the tight ends of the era between Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. And it's no surprise they started tight end you. The best tight end on Sunday will be who? Uh, this, I mean, we can get into the weeds on this. The better blocking tight end is going to be George Kittle. Um the more impactful player on moving the chains is going to be Travis Kelsey. Like it's, it's an amazing thing. How, how vital he is to that offense, like 11 catches against Baltimore. I was, I was doing my homework the other day and it's like, he has eight, um, eight playoff games in his career of double digit catches. He averages nine catches a game in, in the playoffs. And fourth and two, it's Kelsey time. Me in the end zone, it's Kelsey time. And everybody knows what a weapon he is. And everybody knows the ball is going to him. And yet he's able to find space. Now, Kittle's dynamic and he can do a lot of different things. And he can be more versatile to what you want to do on your offense or in your offense. But it just feels like when you need a play, when you need to move the sticks, when you need to be in the red zone, it's 87 over and over again, and everyone in the stadium knows it's going to 87, and yet somehow the ball gets into the hands of 87. Yeah, it's true. Um, it, he's just he's. It's funny because you like Kittle, like you said, you could do more with, but it feels like Kelsey's the more unstoppable force, which is really crazy to say because Kittle's so good. Um, one more before we let you run here. So the QBs take up a lot of airtime, especially in this matchup, because you've got two on seemingly either ends of the spectrum. But is there a storyline that most intrigues you that is not quarterback related? Um, I mean, I, I wonder about a couple of things. I wonder, 
How did Kansas City win the AFC Championship game? Kansas City, by clogging up run lanes, not let Lamar beat them and making the Ravens go one-dimensional. And also their corners were really, really physical on the line against the Ravens' receivers. I don't think they can do that against Debo and Ayuk and the cast that San Francisco has. So I wonder about that once you get into the weeds. The other is, I really wonder, is how Christian McCaffrey is going to be used. Are they just going to say the hell with it? We're just going to blast him between the tackles and, and do what we've done the whole time? Or is this going to be a matter of trying to find space, trying to get George Kittle moving um, and get him some space out on the boundary? I, I wonder about that. But, um, you know, Casey's here because they forced three turnovers and didn't commit one. And I know it's an easy thing to say, but I just think whichever team doesn't turn the ball over the most is going to win this football game on on Sunday. Well, and it's going to be hard for the Chiefs to turn it over because they haven't done it yet in the playoffs. It's been a very, very impressive run, especially Patrick Mahomes as the game manager, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Arash, enjoy the week in Vegas. Try not to be a front runner like everybody else, okay? And uh, don't add a comma to any uh, money that you're spending, all right? You best believe I won't. <laughs> there he goes. Arash Badani from Sportsnet, live on location in Las Vegas. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Thomas Dimitrov from Sumer Sports, he's the CEO there, a former NFL executive and Super Bowl champion, will join us. we got a lot to talk about with Mr. Dimitrov. When we come back, this is the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here. Just waiting to connect with Thomas Dimitrov. CEO of Sumer Sports, former NFL executive and Super Bowl champion. Uh, and he's a guy that knows that Belichick guy pretty good. Or at least better than a lot of us. Well, that's not saying much for me. No, me too. I just, the, the closest thing that I am to Bill Belichick is his impression. Which sadly will be going away next week. Well, his son got a job. D.C. of Washington. I mean... I don't know. He's not doing it. Not doing what? Wait, didn't you just... Sorry, Lance was talking and Lance mentioned Bel- something. Belichick's son is D.C. of oh, Washington. Yeah, the Huskies. Yes. I was surprised he didn't stick around in New England, to be honest. Because there were a lot of people that were talking about how well-respected he was. I know we get the visuals of him, like with that face and sticking out his tongue like it's really weird. But... He seems to, like, if he learned anything from his father, he's probably pretty good at his job on his own. And we're going to find out in Washington with the Huskies if that is the case. I was I was just kind of surprised that that was what transpired. Because, like I said, a lot of people talked about how well-respected he was in that building. But Gerard Mayo probably just wanted to, you know, start things out. Here's here's one. Uh, Thomas Dimitrov is going to call back in a couple minutes. Um. So Cliff Kingsbury gets the job in Washington, leaving Eric Bieniemy without one. 
This has been the most bizarre turn of events that I've seen, or at least one of the most bizarre turn. Arthur Smith getting a second job is probably the most bizarre turn of events. How shocked are you that Eric Bieniemy was, A, not even part of this coaching cycle, seeing that the Washington offense was actually decent considering how terrible their offensive line was, and that was a personnel issue and not an issue with the coaching. But, like, he doesn't even have a job right now. He's going to end up back in Kansas City. We know that. I was going to say, can you just bring him in as a consultant for the if, next two weeks? If I, I'll tell you. Well, they did that with Vic Fangio. The Eagles did that, right? That's right. Here, here's what I, if, if I am, and I don't know that he would even do this, but maybe he would if you pay him enough. If I'm the Buffalo Bills, and this was suggested by Nate Geary from WGR, uh, pregame, halftime, postgame host. If I was the Buffalo Bills, I would be bringing in Eric Bieniemy in some capacity to work with the team. Because you built yourself to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And what can't you do? Beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Pretty sure he might be able to help you out with that. At least a little bit. I'd agree. That's good business. I don't know if the Bills are in the business of making good business decisions right now. Um, so the Super Bowl this week, I've asked the question a couple times to our guests. I wanted to pose it to you. How surprised are you that we got here with the city of Las Vegas from a football perspective? Because it had been the relationship that would never happen. Like Arash said, it was, it was bad for business. You can't associate yourself with gambling. And now we've got a Super Bowl there. How shocked are you that we got here? Both surprised and not surprised at all. So surprised in the sense that r and Partners, the marketing firm for the Las Vegas Tourism and Conference Board, came up with a slogan years ago, like, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, which mm-hmm. they've now abandoned. And now the slogan is, it all happens here, I believe. Like, you can do whatever you want. In Vegas, kid-friendly, partying, wellness, and health. It, when they had that slogan, one of the first things they did was they bought a Super Bowl commercial. And the NFL was like, oh, no, you didn't, actually. You couldn't, they couldn't even promote. We don't even want your money. They couldn't even promote in between live action. So to start there and get to the place where you have a team, you have events, you have the biggest event that is the Super Bowl, and you've fully embraced gambling in terms of the fact that you have sports books in stadiums. I, I think it's a wild turn in terms of how the pendulum has swung. But when you've been on the ground in Las Vegas, it just makes too much sense in the sense that you got more hotels and vacancies and you know restaurants and rooms than anywhere else. When you're trying to have a big event, we just had All-Star here in Toronto. Shai Davidi has a great story on sportsnet.ca about Toronto trying to bid for an MLB All-Star game. The things that you need, the boxes you need to check to put on big-time events, Vegas has that in their sleep. Yeah. So I think from that standpoint, it, it makes a lot of sense why the league now is fully in bed with the city of Las Vegas. Okay, speaking of Vegas um, and what's going on, it's time for Bet Slip, brought to you by ProLine Plus, the only sportsbook where 100% of the profits go back to Ontario. Donovan, I am asking you today about the length of the national anthem. Oh, I've got to take. Let's All go. right. Okay, good. I'm glad. Uh, Over-under is set on uh, ProLine right now at 90 and a half seconds. Reba McIntyre is doing the anthem. Here's some stats for you. 
So Whitney Houston at Super Bowl 25 changed the game in terms of anthem length. So from Super Bowl 1 to Super Bowl 24, five anthems went over the 90 and a half second mark. Whitney Houston's performance started the new trend. Since that anthem at Super Bowl 25, only two have been below the 90 and a half second threshold. Jewel at Super Bowl 32 with 87 seconds and Billy Joel at Super Bowl 41 with 90 seconds. So right below the current betting line. Which way are you going with it? Everybody wants to make a show, man. I'm going over. Yeah, me too. What are you talking about? We've had, we've had anthems in recent memory that have clearly cleared two minutes. And 90 is a good place to put the number. I've seen the number lower at some places. Some places you would never bet, by the way, obviously. You, you keep your money in Ontario because all the money stays in Ontario. So shout out to the OLG. But I'm going over so hard. No doubt you. I'm going over. Okay. Did you have a stat on it, or a ta- your, was that your take? Just that we, the take, is the one that you had, which is correct. This is your time to shine. You, where do you have to be? Where are you going? You're not rushing through it. You're elongating all of those stands. Oh yeah, you're making you're making the most of your time there. Um, that was bet slip brought to you by Proline Plus, the only sports book where 100 percent of the profits go back to Ontario. Pleased to be joined on the line now by Thomas Dimitrov from Sumer Sports. He's the CEO there, former NFL executive and Super Bowl champion. Thomas, how are you today? Gentlemen, how are you doing? We're good. We're good. So before we talk about the Super Bowl, because there's we, we've got plenty of time to do that, I wanted to talk to you about Bill Belichick because you have a previous relationship with Bill. It goes back a long time, back to the Cleveland days. Um, how surprised are you that he's not coaching this year? And, and how different is this for the NFL to not have Bill Belichick on an NFL sideline? Yeah, I, look, it's unfathomable. I watch this every day of, uh, on my board at, at my office. I was, list, I was listening, 90-10, 90-10, 90-10. He is going to Atlanta. Of course, that didn't uh, come to fruition. After the fact, blown away by the fact that this guy is the best in the history of our league in our mind. You could argue Vince Lombardi, of course, and Paul Brown at the other two. No question. I'm sure Bill would say, yeah, I'll defer. The reality is there would never be an opportunity to select or acquire a coach like this with his ability by any of these owners and any of these GMs in this generation. And the fact that people pass on him because of some of the lazy interpretation out there, which I can talk about, that's my, my take on it. I mean, Bill needs to be in the league. Bill is, I've said this categorically, there is not a coach in the NFL who right now couldn't bring an organization in the next three to four years closer to a Super Bowl than Bill Belichick. So let's talk about it. Right in these roles, some of the interviews are who's got accountability, who's got responsibility. What is that workflow and org chart going to look like? And being in organizations, it's it's different every place. But is that why we're here in terms of changing process or changing who has the final word? Well, look, I mean, Bill Belichick, he deserves it, right? He goes to whatever organization he goes to. And he's going to be the guy we call, you know, in our world, we call him Lazar. No one likes that word, but that's kind of our description of it. And there's no question he deserves that. He was going to go into some places and they would still potentially even keep their, their general manager. But we all know that that GM would take a second seat. We in the league call that the light GM. Nothing wrong with it. Of course, when you're with Bill Belichick, of course, there's nothing wrong with it. That, that did not happen, of course, in Atlanta. It didn't happen in a couple of other places. Yes, he was coming in to be the guy. He would, he would probably more than likely bring in a guy like Josh McDaniel, who I think is one of the best offensive minds in the history of the league as well. He would surround himself with his guys who are part of the Patriot paradigm, 
which there are people out there that just, you know, you know how that is. When you're on top for so long, people are waiting in the weeds. And you know they have been for Bill, right, because of Bill's personality. But the fact is there is no one more more situationally mastermind-like than a guy like, like Bill Belichick that just there are people in the league right now who are good coaches, but they can't match him. And what you do, I think, as an owner is you look at that and you tell all your internal people, hey, deal with it. We are going to be as close as we can to being a Super Bowl winner. It makes me believe sometimes there are organizations out there that want to make the buck, but maybe deep down aren't structuring for great. They may be just structuring for good. It's another leadership concept that we could talk about forever. Um, so with him not being on a sideline this year, like I, I floated the idea that maybe maybe it was his decision because the jobs weren't what he wanted. Maybe, you know, if things go south in Philly or in Dallas, maybe those are jobs where they can look at him and say, you know, they come begging on their hands and knees, Bill, we need you to take over the job. But if he does media and you know him outside of what we see, you know, in press conferences and on the sideline, do you think that there's a chance that if he does it, I, firstly, I think he's going to be great at it, but that he might enjoy that enough that he just says, you know what? I've accomplished so much in this game that like, I'm good. I, I can take a step away and, and I don't need a farewell tour or anything. This is what I'm going to do. Look, I think a lot of people think that remember bill 100% as a football historian and remember all due respect to his father, his father literally passed away, you know, um, in, in football. I mean, he was, he was coaching all the way up until the day that he passed away. That is that family. Bill, Bill is a few wins away from an historic record, as you guys know. And I just, it's not all about the ego there. It's just about a guy who believes in the history of this league and has a great deal of respect for it. So I can't imagine that he would step out and stay in media far from that. But who knows? That's a very nice way to say 0% chance, Matt. There's absolutely no way that that happens, nor should it. I need to see Bill and Saban, uh, you know, breaking down film. That's the media that I'd love to see. All right, I want to talk to you about this Super Bowl matchup, and specifically, you know, the, the theory about evaluating the quarterback position, the most, I think, important decision any organization makes. You had success hitting it out of the park with Matt Ryan and that set up the organization for success for a long time. When you look at these two teams in the Super Bowl, they've done it in different ways. The Chiefs for the first time in 34 years go and get a first-round QB, let him sit and wait, and obviously Patrick Mahomes has carried them to another level. And the Niners have been able to allocate resources around their quarterback because Brock Purdy's making less than a million dollars. When you look at talking about the difference between good and great – the decisions being made around the league on how we allocate resources, draft and develop quarterbacks, what sticks out to you about how it's being done successfully? Well, that's a lot. That's a great lead-in, man. You should be in a, in a scouting room telling everyone how to do their business. I love that. Um, and I agree with, man, I don't even know where to start. What I would say is, I mean, I never had the opportunity. I shouldn't say that. Those first few years with Matt Ryan we did where his, where his salary was low, like Brock's, and you can build around. That's a big, big deal. You know, for a lot of these teams, though, it's a not-for-long league. You've heard that man many times. Most general managers and head coaches who get in that spot know that in two years, if they're not operating and they're not moving in the right direction fast, then they won't be there. And so I think there's a lot more of a, an urgency to putting, putting your pieces together so that you win a Super Bowl, you can log a Super Bowl. Um, so that said, both of these quarterbacks, I think, 
come to the table, as we all know, with something really special. We, we know where Mahomes is on it, of course, with Brock Purdy. I don't know where you guys have been on it. You watch it at times. You're like, ah, is, is, he, is he that guy that's going to be in there when, when it really becomes, you know, cutting time when, when, you know, when I'm trying to say, like, it's, it's a big, big deal. And, and he showed it in the second half this last game. I'll be interested to see how it plays out again in the Super Bowl. When the big lights are on, it's always interesting for me. And, I, look, I always said this, if, you know, Matt Ryan was great for us in Atlanta. If I ever had another opportunity at this time in my career to come back as a GM, I would look towards that quarterback that had that combination, right? In today's world, you can't just be the stand in the pocket guy. And I, everyone was saying that Purdy is, he's an okay athlete, but I'm like the other day, man, he ran like a good athlete. So I think it's a really important combination. Versatility, versatility, versatility is massive. And this new group of five young quarterbacks, five to seven coming up, ones that can move around the best and you know that they're going to stay stay healthy. I think they have a great chance to take a team, you know, to where you need them to be taken. Thomas Dimitrov, uh, CEO of Sumer Sports, former NFL executive and Super Bowl champion, Johnny Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett here on the fan checkdown. When when did that change? Like for the long, we know for the longest time, it was about having the 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 pocket quarterback, the, you know, the Tom Brady's, the Peyton Manning's, the Matt Ryan's. Mm-hmm. When did that, like, who was the quarterback for you that changed the way the game needed to be played? Because defenses were getting so good and something needed to be done for offenses to kind of take that next step forward, which in theory they have. But was there one quarterback that stood out for you that you're like, that was the guy that kind of changed the narrative on what teams are looking for at the position? Well, look, I think think you can look at Mahomes, you can look at Allen, you can look at, you know, uh, Herbert. I mean, we start looking at those guys, and you start looking at – now, Mahomes is a little bit different because he might be just a, a little bit shorter than those other two guys. When you see athletes, I'm talking about, you know, with our grading scale, scales, sixes and sevens, and those are good, very good athletes at the core, when, and those guys can still stand tall in the pocket. I mean, I remember going into Herbert and watching him. We still had Matt Ryan, and I was watching the cat, and I was like, this dude, this dude is special moving around like he – he is. He can still get the ball off and throws. He can stand in the pocket when he needs to. This comes back to versatility. It's the same with Allen at Buffalo, like where you're like, man, if we could ever get our hands on guys like this, it's pretty special. I mean, you look at Buffalo, you see that guy running the way that he does. You guys know it from being down the street from him. I mean, it's a pretty special situation. It's almost like he'll take anyone on head on, and what a, what a great situation that is. So it felt like it was more that for me personally, those, those later years of – you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20-ish area. Um, we got fired, Dan Quinn and myself, uh, 20. And uh, it was it was very hot then, of course, with that athletic quarterback out there. And I always said if I came back, not only would I think about trying to find a really athletic quarterback, you look at Jaden Daniels and some of these guys on the bottom, we can talk about all of these young guys. But I also thought that I would come back and look at potentially – you know, trading for a head coach that you thought was one of the top of the line. I love the draft. Don't get me wrong, but you have to hit it with your quarterback and your head coach. Well, you, you mentioned looking for head coaches like that. And, and, you know, when you were in Atlanta with Dan Quinn and Dan Quinn just got the, the Washington job, but you know, on his staff, was, you know, members of that Washington staff that they had prior under Mike Shanahan. So, you know, you had Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel and Matt LaFleur and, and Raheem Morris, more of a defensive guy, of course. Um, how surprised are you that, all of those guys are, are NFL head coaches, or are you surprised at all? Especially, you know, with the first three that I mentioned, considering how the game has changed to, you know, more of an offensive mindset and, and how can we put up more points on the board? 
look, I have a really strong feeling about the offenses versus defense. And look, if you have an offensive-minded guy who's who's aggressive and, and the proper leader of men, and, and you know that he can work with a young quarterback, of course there are massive benefits there. In lieu, how in lieu of, however, is not something that I ever want. Right? I've had I had two head coaches who were defensive minded. One was Mike Smith in those early years, from from eight to uh, fifteen or sixteen. One coach of the year, three three years out of five. Dan Quinn comes in, one of the best defensive coaches, and a really good football coach, a really good leader. You you can't be an offensive-minded head coach. You come in and you stick your head in your office, you know, and you, you don't come out for two straight days. You have to lead the troops, not just your offense. You have to be able to lead the defense as well. Very important. So, like, with Dan hiring Cliff Kingsbury as his offensive coordinator, that's, that's a very tactical move, as you can imagine. Who did he coach at USC this year? Well, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I guess my point in all that is defensive-minded head coaches, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn, getting, getting gigs again. I'm really happy for both of them. And I think they've both learned a lot of lessons along the way, and here they are that many years later to jump in and see what, what has changed. Because quite a bit changes. This is a fast-paced league, and if you don't keep up with it, you, know, you don't have a chance. And I think both of these men have kept up with it, and they know what, what it will take, and it will be interesting to see how, how it plays out for them. I was about to say, tread carefully, you're – Guelph Griffin DBs were about to be really upset with you if you went too hard <laughs> on the offensive side, although I'm sure your brother would have loved it. You know, when when we look at this Super Bowl week and everything that's going on, you know, I wonder your perspective on just managing it to make sure that it's as normal as possible, even though nothing about it is normal. What are the types of things, if anything, that Brett Veach, John Lynch can do this week to help their coaches just coach? Oh, look, I think both of those guys are responsible for all of the other stuff. I mean, I'm not even talking about the business side. I'm talking about making sure that everyone is in a spot, making sure that you eliminate as many distractions as possible. And you can't, you know, as a general manager, you can't go in. John might over Brett Veach, and I love Brett. I think he's one of the best rising stars in our business. Of course, everyone likes to think it's Andy, but John does a, or a, a Matt, uh, Brett does a great job with how he's bringing everything together. That's a big thing for a GM. Let me take care of all of the other stuff during this week as much as I can. Coach the damn football team. Focus. Try to eliminate uh, any of these distractions, and, and that's what we can do. We can lead properly, make sure that everyone takes the uh, distractions away. Well, Thomas, uh, lots of great insight. We thank you so much for taking some time for us today. Really appreciate it. Uh, continued success with Sumer Sports, and uh, and enjoy the game this weekend. Uh, it's It should be a good one. Hopefully it's a good one. And, uh, and hope you enjoy it. I always appreciate the Canadian brethren. Thank you. Reach out anytime. There he goes. Thomas Dimitrov, Sumer Sports CEO, former NFL executive and Super Bowl champion. It's funny that he mentioned about, you know, Raheem Morris and Dan Quinn getting jobs um, and how you still need a defensive guy in there. You can't just be all offense. When we look at this hiring cycle, there are eight coaches hired. Five of them were defensive guys. The only ones that weren't, were um, Jim Harbaugh, Dave Canales, and why am I blanking on the other one? Help me out. Callahan. Think Brian Callahan. Exactly. So three of the three of the eight are offensive guys. We talk about, it's funny how there's that, you know, the changing of the narrative in that, you know, everybody wants to bring in the offensive guy. Well, when the offenses get really good, maybe you need to bring in the defensive guy to help kind of, level the playing field a little bit, much like Seattle did with Mike McDonald, who, by the way, brought in Leslie Frazier as his assistant head coach. What a shock. 
uh, bringing in a veteran guy. Smart move. But your thoughts on this hiring cycle and bringing in the defensive guy? Listen, the guy who he mentioned as the greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick, is a defensive guy. He sure is. And I miss the days when you were just a coach. The guy who has the all-time lead and wins in terms of Don Shula. Is he a defensive guy or offensive guy? He's just a coach. Bill Parcells, is he a defensive guy or an offensive guy? He's a coach. I'm a Cowboys fan. Jimmy Johnson was just a coach. Certainly it changed when head coaches started to call plays as well. Mm -hmm. And that made it very obvious. You're calling the defense. Well, you're a defensive guy. You're calling the (laughs) offense. You're an offensive guy. But I still think you need to have input in the entire organization. We heard that from Nick Sirianni in terms of one of the things as a young coach he's going to do differently. Not going to run the offense and defensive meetings, but you should have some input because ultimately, guess what? To go south, you are couple. Well, what do we talk about with Sean McDermott? Like, can't fire anybody anymore. Like, when you're the defensive guy, it's hard to fire the defensive coordinator when you are him. That's right. So it's uh, lots of great insight there. If, if you're just catching us now and you missed that, uh, that was Thomas Dimitrov. He was fantastic. Rash Madani joined us earlier from Las Vegas. He got to see the helmets on the sphere, which looked <laughs> really cool. Like, I, I, I'm i very much looking forward to my next stop when I go to Vegas. I don't know when that's going to be, but I'm very much looking forward to it because that looks awesome. Uh, thanks to everyone that joined the show today. Thanks to Lance Behind the Glass. Donovan across the table. We're back tomorrow. Another couple of good guests again. Join us. It's Super Bowl week right here on the Fan Checkdown. We'll talk to you tomorrow.